Hey, Verse Course Verse DL here. Just wanted to give a quick thank you to Jonathan Bates, aka Big Black Delta, for the music in this episode. All music in this episode is off of Big Black Delta's first album, self titled second album, Tregame Tierra. Apologies for butchering that. And fourth album, titled Four. If you want to hear any of them, go to bigblackdelta.com or go to his Instagram, big underscore black underscore delta, and there's a link tree there. Go to Spotify, wherever you can get his second album and his fourth album on vinyl from his website. So if you're going to buy his music because that's awesome, get it from there. That's where it will benefit him the most. Once again, thank you. And here we go. Coming up on Verse Course Verse, Jonathan Bates is here. I get to talk to him and you don't. That's next. You took me to a mountain top. And what did you see? World gone straight. The valley of the death of me. Welcome to Verse Course Verse. I am DL. How is everybody out there doing today? I hope that you are well. I and fantastic i'm counting the minutes we are getting close to where i get to talk to an artist that i i cannot believe i get to talk to perks of having a podcast there are many i get to talk to you people about music i get to talk to sven evil and rachel about music uh, but one of the perks one of the big perks is that i get to talk to artists that i respect this year has been an insane year we talked to Annie Clements, bass player for Marin Morris, who was just a, an amazing person, huge fan of hers, and going to be for the rest of my life now. We talked to the Jennifer Batten, guitar player for just little, little acts like Michael Jackson and Jeff Beck. I hope for her sake that someday she finds a better artist to play with. No, Jennifer Batten was amazing. And now I'm ridiculously lucky again, but before we get into why... Hope everybody out there is doing well. It's been a busy, busy couple weeks for me, but I'm doing well. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Got a big vacation coming up in a month. I have not had a vacation. I cannot remember the last time I took a vacation, a real vacation, where you actually take time off work and you go do something relaxing. I'm not kidding. I'm thinking maybe nine years, something like that. But uh, pretty soon I get nine days of beach and cocktails and hanging out at the ocean with my daughter and my family that I love that I don't get to see very often. I am stoked. And before I get into anything else, I'll just get this over with. Most important part of the night, what am I drinking? I'm, I'm drinking water. It's midday on a Monday, people. Come on can't do that. Like I said, it's been an insanely busy couple weeks. I haven't really had time for drinking and things like that. But this upcoming weekend, we are doing a two-part recording. It's going to be plenty of drinking there to make up for it. For now, I got to have my wits about me. I got to stay sober for this one. It's the middle of the day on a Monday. And the person that I'm going to talk to, I'm already nervous about, uh, boy, oh boy. His name is Jonathan Bates. For those of you that don't know, Jonathan Bates is founder, a creator. He is the project Big Black Delta. If any of you have been listening to this podcast since season one, you know Big Black Delta. We talked about him last year. Sven and I, back last year, and we were doing a lot more album exchanges, I gave him the self-titled album from Big Black Delta to check out. We fawned over it for about an hour and a half. Not kidding, this is one of my favorite albums of the last decade. And actually, it's coming up on, I think it was released in 2013. So it is about to hit its 10-year anniversary. Jonathan Bates, aka Big Black Delta's debut album. That album, to me, is one of my favorite albums of all time. Not kidding. For any of you music obsessors out there like me to know that I am about to talk to a gentleman who wrote one of my favorite albums ever, it's a big deal. I'm going to talk to him a little bit about a bunch of things. He has four albums. Well, he has, you know, he has about four to five albums, 
but he has a lot of projects. If you listen to his music, he can understand where his talents would lend himself to remixes and soundtracks and, and those sort of projects, which he does. And they are fucking awesome. So uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about that. I want to talk to him about his start. I don't know if he's from L.A. or not, but he's been based in L.A. His music videos, if you haven't seen his music videos, they're outstanding. He has some notoriety with some bigger groups. He has relationships, according to his interviews in Wikipedia, with Alessandro Cortini of Nine Inch Nails. He's been talked highly about by Jay-Z. Like he, uh, this, I'm sure this guy won't because from what I've seen on his Instagram and things like that, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would be a name dropper or anything like that. And if you listen to his music, it's very subtle. But yeah, man, I'm stoked. I want to talk to him about his evolution, his change of sound over his last four or so albums. I want to talk about why he chooses the projects he chooses. I want to talk about his first album, why it's so incredible, what he was going through as a person during that time and how his personality has changed to go along with the albums that he's come come out with so far. I want to talk to him about how I found him, which was opening for Jane's Addiction in, uh, I think it was like 2014 or something like that. I want to talk to him about the show Sinner. I'll probably recap this right now since I don't want to do it while he's on the pod and bore him to death. There's a show called Sinner that you can find on Netflix. I think it was original, maybe USA or something like that, but I found it on Netflix. Each season, it is a different murder, essentially, that Bill Pullman, the detective in the show, is trying to figure out. And it's a really weird fucking murder. There's something super odd about every single one of them. Season one, which is an amazing season of television. I don't love all the seasons of Sinner, but they're all interesting. And a couple of them are really good. Season one is by far the best. Jessica Biel is a wife with a husband and a a little boy. You can tell at the beginning she has some mental issues going on. You don't know what any of that is, but they're on a beach day. And you can tell they're kind of in a smaller community because it seems like people kind of know each other. They're on a beach day at this beach and it's packed. There's a ton of the community is out at this beach day and everything. She's peeling this apple with a paring knife and this music that's playing from this group of people next to her starts getting in her head she starts to flip out she runs over and she murders one of the guys there and this whole story is essentially about bill pullman trying to figure out why she murdered this dude i'll get into it with him but his music plays a massive part in this show it's fascinating to me and i will say why when i'm talking to him but there's your synopsis of the sinner and why i would obviously want to ask him about it That's where I'm at right now. You know, I get to talk to John Bates. I'm super excited. Found this guy live. My jaw dropped. Checked out his album. My jaw dropped further. I've been in love with his music ever since. Might have to pester him about trying to find his original album on vinyl. I want it to. He's got a couple upcoming projects that we're going to talk about. It is a fun thing having a podcast that you randomly suddenly realize that, hey, I might actually get to talk to these people that... uh, end up meaning a lot to my life. I keep talking about a self-titled debut album. His other albums are fantastic too. Four, which just came out in 2020, is a spectacular album. I have it on vinyl. I love it. I can't pronounce it. I'm going to have to ask him how to pronounce it, but uh, Tregama, Tierra, or something like that came out in 2016. That was his second album. That is a fantastic album as well. He has some amazing appearances on there. But the self-titled debut album is the one that really, really stuck to my ribs. I hadn't heard anything like it. It came out right around the time that the Synthwave stuff was getting big again. The Drive soundtrack was, I think, the year before, maybe two years before. That sparked everybody into this huge free-for-all, Tron-like, Stranger Things sort of stuff. This album is very synthwave. I think there's something more sultry about it than standard synthwave. But if you really delve into his projects, you hear a lot of Vangelis and uh, Depeche Mode and, you know, those sort of things. A lot of influences, but this is really its own thing. 
And for what I was looking for as far as synth rock, especially at that time in my life and moving forward to, man, that album just spoke to me. So it's very cool that as a podcaster, I'm realizing that I actually get to talk about these things with these people. And I think the artists enjoy it because who wouldn't, as an artist, who wouldn't want to talk to somebody that greatly respects your art? I'm sure that some of these questions probably get old. I'm sure that the fact that I'm talking about his self-debuted album when he has a bunch of other projects, like this album was 2013. I think he wrote most of the songs farther back than that, like 2011. So yeah, he's probably sick of like the, hey, can we talk about my other albums? Because they're good too, which they are, and we are going to talk about. I'm mostly just excited and interested to hear his story. I want to hear how he comes up with this stuff. I want to hear if his influences are close to what I think they would be. I want to hear some specifics about the style that he was going for if he hit it. The way that we got in touch with him in the first place was in our first season, we had no followers. We had nothing. We had like probably by the time that I emailed him, we probably had 500 listeners an episode. I said, hey, we're going to review your album. Can we play some of your music? Just a few seconds of... While we're describing your music, we can play a couple things. And he wrote back immediately, yeah, no problem, enjoy. He actually listened to the episode. Sven made this this joke when we first started the review that this seemed like the type of music that, I think his name was JP. So in the movie Grandma's Boy, hopefully you've seen that. It's a fucking hilarious movie. But in Grandma's Boy, the, the main antagonist is JP. He's this video game tester who steals uh, the main character's video game stuff. And he's this total dark sunglasses trench coat. He sits in this dark matrixy room sort of thing. And Sven made this joke that this sounds like the type of music JP would listen to. And John responded with story on Instagram with a picture of JP. Like John was totally into it. He thought it was hilarious and he thought it was a good take, uh, which was amazing. And then what happened, what happened was this year has been such an interesting year for independent artists. And I've had a lot of budding conversations now that we do have a few thousand listeners per episode, still not much, but it's something I've talked to a lot of independent artists this year, and I'm interested in the struggle. I've had a lot of issues with Spotify this year. I have all the issues with the record labels trying to get rights to music. Amazon Music now coming on, which is a little bit better, but not really. Bandcamp. I want to hear from independent artists what works and what doesn't, and what we as listeners should be doing to respect those. And I feel that John has really figured out a way to, he's got a a decent cult following. Like I said, the soundtracks and things like that, but he still is very, very much an independent artist. I highly doubt that he's making a complete living off of these albums. His vinyls are kind of hard to get. And nowadays, if you're not a Taylor Swift, you're, if you're not selling millions of albums, it feels like it's either a feast or famine thing. And he seems like he's in the perfect avenue to talk about that, where he has, I think he has like a few hundred thousand followers on Spotify, which is a ton. How much does that get you? And not that I'm going to ask him how much money he makes or anything like that, but I want to know as fans of artists, true fans that I think that we are and the listeners are, we want to know what is the best way for us to support you? The only thing that I've found so far is buying directly from the people, buying merch. Or if somebody has a vinyl directly on their website, I will buy it. But other than that, how do we do it? Should we not listen on Spotify? Should we go to Bandcamp? What about SoundCloud? So I'm going to ask him those questions too. And I can't wait to see what he has to say. I'm nervous. It's going to be interesting to have a conversation with a person who made a piece of art that music means so much to me in my life. Albums mean so much to me in my life. And this guy honestly wrote one of the best ones I've ever heard. I don't know how I'm going to act. I have a feeling the next hour is going to be a complete blur. We got to get into it. He's going to be here in a couple more minutes. I'm going to take a little break. I'll be right back. So you're doing well. 
Yeah, dude. I've got a lot of stuff coming up and uh, learning how to be more of an of-service human being. Of-service human being. So what does that mean? At this point in my life, I choose to uh, view this as there's two dualities, service to others and then service to self. Okay. Within that mishmash, and you add consciousness to it, and you get where we're at right now as human beings. I don't know if you've ever had a really harsh time, but a life-changing experience that you'd never give up, but when you went through it. Absolutely. Yeah, those are necessary. That's what Joseph Campbell talked about. That's the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. I had, at the time, really brutal things happen to me, but it forced me to make a decision, you know? If shit sucks bad enough, you can just kill yourself, you know? And there's something inherent in my soul that's like, that's not an option. So it was like, okay, well then what's left? I would like to enjoy being here then. I would like to enjoy being conscious, not running away from it as soon as I woke up, which is what I used to do when I was heavily drinking. Okay. Yeah, I would wake up early just to start drinking. Oh, yeah. I've lost a few friends because of that. Yeah, I can't speak to their journey, but mine came from a place of avoidance and wanting to check out. So I would drink until I'd pass out and then wake up and repeat. How long did that last for? Uh, It would probably be 10 years. Oh my, wow. I mean, towards the end, obviously, I I was drinking a bottle of Red Label a day. Wow. So you you get to those places and you kind of get tired of having the same conversations with yourself. Anyway, long long story longer. um, (laughs) It forced me to take things like physical health more serious. So even if it's just minimal physical exercise, I took up meditation. It's changed my life absolutely completely. I hear things and I get ideas and I speak to a higher intelligence when I meditate. Not when I meditate, because meditation is about just doing nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you can put yourself in a place of quiet, true quiet, you know, because the first five minutes of meditation is the same for everybody. You're just going through the third dimensional shit and you're angry about traffic and you're scared about yeah. money. Yes. It's mostly about scared about money, at least if you're American Yes. or any other human being. And then after that, there's a silence. And if you just enjoy the silence, you can ask that silence questions. What should I do? And after a while, I started hearing answers back. Not from a voice like you and I understand it, but just, you know, telepathically, so to speak. From your subconscious or something different? Yes, correct. I'm really into Jungian subconscious. Great. And I also read a lot of Dolores Cannon. Okay. And I buy into all of that because it makes my life fun. Your most recent album, The Four album that came out in 2020, was that pre or post this kind of mind frame change? It was It was during. It seems like it. I have an electric record coming out at some point and it is just all about me trying to make a sonic stage for you to find your answers. I want to be of service. I don't want to affect your free will. So if you think your purpose in life is to hurt people and be angry. I love you just as much as the other person, and I just want you to find those answers. And so I I wrote music coming from that and lyrically coming from that. And it it was the fastest, most fun recording experience I've ever had. Four was during that transition, you know. Is the new record a completely different thing? Because I also know that you also have a project coming up, which is... Yeah, no, the thing that's coming out next is jokingly, quote unquote, my greatest hits, but it was just... um, It's kind of a reimagining of some of the songs that you've written. It's absolutely a reimagining. And it's also something that I I do naturally. So it wasn't like, I just wanted to hear them. And that was part of being of service because like sometimes I don't want to listen to bombastic music, Mm -hmm. but these songs still have those same messages. And so then after that, I have a record coming out. I call it the electric one for the first time in my life. I I show it to friends. I can't wait for people to hear it. And if people don't like it, I'm like, cool, man. It's a neat place to be. So would you say that this would be the first time that you've felt like this about your music? Correct. Wow. Because your music is outstanding, but it does seem like as you've progressed, one of my biggest draws to it is how vulnerable it is. But it seems like that's even progressed as your albums have progressed. So has the vulnerability in it. Right. The first Big Black Delta record got more attention than I had ever had or 
or expected, right? Mm-hmm. And then it led in the door of air conditioning dorks, like fucking pitchfork guys, like coming in and just doing what they do very well, which is writing things to get paid because they have that MFA, they got to pay off, you know? And So and, like scathing review type oh, things. Oh, really mean things. And the thing, well, the thing was, was that I was avoiding that because, you know, it's the same thing as getting picked on in third grade or that time that you got jumped and beat up in front of everybody. You know, like, it's like you do everything in your body to avoid that. But the beauty of it was once somebody does that, it's it. Mm-hmm. But that was the world that we lived in five years ago, 10 years ago. It's true. Post-COVID is the wild west at least spiritually and within kindness, I think. You're allowed to come up with your version of it, man. You don't have to like save the world. You just have to be kind to yourself. And if you're kind to yourself and truly do that, which by the way, it takes, it took me years of therapy just to get a handle on. Okay, then touching on that, starting at your first, your self-titled debut album, that album, it's not, it's dark, but it's not negative. It's, no. it's sultry and it's... Well, you know, that one, that was my leaving Las Vegas one. Wow. I was in a very dark place. I was in a dark relationship. My old band, Melodrone, that I had put in like 10 years, yeah. just failed. So for a couple of years, I just did nine to fives and really enjoyed getting paid for work, <laughs> which musicians don't really... Don't do, yeah. If it happens, it happens outside of you, you know? Yes. And the idea of showing up somewhere from eight to four or five and getting a paycheck out of the end of it was a lot of fun for me because as an adult, I've never experienced that. I went straight into being a musician when I was 17. So I really enjoyed that. But at the same time, idle hands. Yeah. Between me and this relationship I was in, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and stuff. I really didn't have anything to live for, to be honest. At least that's what I thought and felt. That's never true. There was this kind of like, well, make the music that you you need to hear right now before you go. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's where that came from. And then, then after I finished it, it was like, okay, we'll play one show and see before you go. And then I played some dive bar. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had a PA even, but I, I, but I brought in lights, just made a whole night out of it. And then everybody responded afterwards. And I was, you know, I'd mistakenly for years had taken that the universe only wants me to suffer. Ah, yeah. Good stuff comes out of that. I'm now at a place where I'm like, oh, I got that one wrong. Because I truly believe that this thought or dream or whatever word you want to put it, I think the intelligence behind it is cool and it wants you to have a good time. That's a great way to look at things. I actually feel all of that. I, I felt very similar things in specific moments of my life. And it's interesting because that might be why each of your albums feels so different to me. Mm-hmm. I discovered you, you opened for Jane's Addiction at the Botanical Gardens in Boise, Idaho, probably 2013 or 14 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was floored. It was just you and two drummers and my buddies and I were just floored. And then we went home and oh, thanks, listened to your album and my jaw dropped even harder. I stand by the fact that you are now, and you have been since then, one of my favorite artists of the last decade. Your music is incredible, and it very much speaks to me. That's how I heard you, and I was in pretty similar spots at that time myself. Not that each person is comparable or anything like that. It does seem like you can hear your story evolve with your second album and then your projects you did before four. And now with the new stuff that you're going to have coming out, which is the reimagining of the older tunes. I, I can't tell you how chuffed I am to hear you say that. And it means the world to me. While we're on that, because I want to get out of all the dark stuff and into the more positive stuff. But a few years back, I checked out the show Sinner. I don't even remember how I had heard of it, but I watched it on Netflix. And of course I freaked out because your music is on it. And I had been a fan of yours for years by the time that came out. I'm going to do kind of an intro to this where I kind of give the synopsis, but 
your music is a character on that show. Yeah. It's not a soundtrack. It is a character. No, I agree. And it's a very, very dark character. So with you being in that position at that time, is that hard for you to have your music be kind of the background of this very vicious thing? No. When I first saw it, I, I was surprised by the violence. But no, to be honest with you, it's like if I get stabbed on stage, I won't be surprised. Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> but part of being where I am as a human being right now is that I just enjoy the making of it. Past that is none of my business. So like if somebody uses it for this or somebody uses it, I mean, because I've gotten DMs and videos of stuff where points of view are just so drastic. I never thought of that mm -hmm. or whatever. That's a trip, dude. When someone takes what you've done and they just think of it this way or that way, or the fact that like most of my vocals on that first record are so muddy, you see people's versions of it and that lets you into what they're thinking. I don't know. I get a buzz from that. Every time a moment like that happens, I get to look behind the curtain to the real algorithms happening, not this matrix that we're in right now, so to speak. How would you describe Big Black Delta to someone that asks, is it a project, an alter ego? How would you, what would you say it is? It's kind of like my dancing, dude. It's like, bless your heart. That's a dude. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's bless your heart music and bless your heart dancing. It's like the guy's doing his thing. Hopefully you can see me doing my thing and then you can be like, oh, I can do my thing. I really want to wear these kind of pants today. Do it. But what if somebody calls me this? It's like, don't worry about it because there's freedom on this side. There's a lot of freedom in a couple and of so them. I feel like that's my job on this planet is to help people see that they can do it too. All of us can be, you know, Iggy Pop just in your different ways. Like it doesn't have to be like a guy cutting his chest on stage and bleeding and, and yeah. screaming at people, yeah. you know, like. It could be how you deal with cats or you could be how you paint a wall or something like that. Your second album that I can't pronounce, is it, is it Tregami? It's in Spanish and it's literally means earth eat me. And it's like something you say when you really fuck up. Oh, okay. And so that was recorded at the height of my alcoholism. Like I don't remember a lot of those things, a lot of those parts. You can kind of hear it in the mastering and the mixing. It's just so like... You know, it's, you can listen to a song, but then you have to like stop. You can't listen to that whole record all the way through. Cause I think sonically it's just too, you know, but that's where I was at the time. Cause I was writing that music at like two in the morning, just really drunk, literally in the dark, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of brilliance on it too, though. Thanks, man. The work that you do, how did you end up getting, or what was the process of getting Kimbra and Debbie Gibson on that? Both of those songs, they seem like perfect collaborations. Shit, I forgot about that. Yeah, those were cool. So Debbie Gibson was just serendipitous. Me and my business partner, the guy that helps me do this, we were having drinks one night and both of us low in the sense of like, what are we doing? And he was like, I don't know, maybe I should become a fucking sailor or a lawyer <laughs> or something. And he just looks at me and he's like, if you could work with any human being on the planet, who would it be? And I just blurted out Debbie Gibson because I, I you know, her out of the blue record is just perfection. Yeah, it's great. Um, nothing happened for the rest of the evening until I get a call from him at like two in the morning and he's at a party and he's like, I'm standing next to Debbie's best friend. She'll totally do it. Wow. Here's her number. And her takes are actually voice memos, 87 kilobyte voice memos. No kidding. Yeah, just her singing into the phone. Uh, Kimbra came about because she was dating a very uh, close friend of mine, uh, Lars Hornfeth from Yaga Yazist. He's a powerhouse of a musician from Norway. And he's kind of a, I would say, a genius. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was dating her at the time. And he's actually the one that plays all the clarinets and horns on certain songs on that record. Oh, wow. That song, Summoner. Uh -huh. Robin had heard it for like, like four years ago and she was like, I want that song. And I was like, here, take it. And so it was going to be like, hey, let's have Robin, Debbie Gibson and Kimbra on this record because he was dating Kimbra. And she was like, sure. I think it was more because we, you know, we were friends, but she was very gracious to give me her time. Speaking of which, somebody that's just so fast in the studio. So oh. she had her thing set up and she just put her headphones on and, and I just sat back and watched her work. And it was like Ghost in the Shell when the when multiple fingers come <laughs> yeah. out of the fingers of the of the operators and she you know that's where it came from it was all serendipitous and 
Dude, every time I try to plan something, it just doesn't work out. I've just found that I have more success seeing where things go. So far, so good. As someone who enjoys every single one of your albums has a very different experience. It seems to work out for you. Oh, uh, man, I'm glad you exist. Thank you. <laughs> one of the things I want to talk to you on, particularly for, but then on, on your second album too, you are a sneaky, awesome musician. You have some parts where you shred. Yeah. And then you had a live show that I saw, which is just you and a bass player that I think you did about a year yeah, ago. Yeah, the COVID show. Same thing. You see how good of a musician you are in that. Did you go to school for music? Yeah, I went after high school. I went to Berkeley in Boston for shredding. So there you go. Because in high school, I played in like death metal bands because it's Florida. <laughs> yeah. And like bands like Dream Theater, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. But as soon as I became an adult, it was just supremely not in vogue. So I kind of put guitar away, man, for like 10 years. And it wasn't until Danny Harrison was doing a anniversary show for his dad's record, All Things Must Pass. Oh, so the Danny Harrison. Wow. Correct. Okay. Okay. So he asked if I would be in band that was going to be like on Conan, we'll do all this stuff and sing backups. And it was like, yeah, of course. I'm in a room with him, Jimmy Vivino, like all these just amazing musicians. And it just, the guitar came back to me. And I just remember standing there and like in between a song and just being like, I can't believe I put this down for like 10 years. And Jimmy, Jimmy Vivino is the Conan O'Brien. He's the band leader for the, yeah. was for like 20, 30 years or however long it was. He actually borrowed my guitar a couple of times on a couple of shows. He looked at me, he's like, what are you fucking doing, dude? You shred. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> Because it was something that I was ashamed of, almost. Wow, that's you know? fascinating. Yeah, but a lot of people are like that. We have a lot of things that we just fucking, you, that's what you're weirded out about, you know? Yeah. And then during COVID, it was a meditative thing to be able to just sit and start practicing again. It all came back to me. So shredding, it, <laughs> I love that word. Uh, playing, I do too. <laughs> playing guitar is like, you know, just a gift. And I have a gift with it. And I saw it now, especially this next record, you're going to hear a lot more of that. It kind of makes me feel like when I heard Faith No More for the first time, where Ooh. you're just like, I don't know what, I don't know what this is, but this is cool. Yeah. Right. You I know? like that. Me too. Yeah. The first time I turned on four is the very first song. Yeah. It's like Metallica. Yeah. It's like Van Halen. It's crazy. It's because you don't expect it from your albums at all. No, but it's fun live because it's fun yeah. to see somebody be proficient at something. It used to be people hated guitar solos for, what, 20 years? Not that it's coming back, but you have like Tosin Abasi and all these other dudes that are just taking guitar to this weird fucking place that we didn't yeah. know could exist. And I'm like, wait, I can do that. And I enjoy doing that. Not I can do that, right? I don't do that mm -hmm. anymore where it's like, hey, I could do that. No, it's more like, <laughs> whoa, that looks fun. Because the ego is I can do that. The light behind the soul is like, that looks fun. Those are two completely different origin points. I love that. Your self-titled album seemed to come out at the perfect time. And, and you're talking about this, how you play a mean guitar, but you kind of put it away because of naysayers and things like that. Since your music at that time, it went along really well with the re-evolution of the synth wave you know, like mm. the, the drive soundtrack becoming this massive phenomenon. and Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was great. Yeah, and suddenly people were listening to like Vangelis again and things like that. Would you say that that played a big part in, yes. in that? Or you That's just a sound that's like, you know, because I was born and raised around when that original sound came out. So my consciousness and we came to the States when I was 86. So this is when like all this stuff had been metastasized you know and also just renting Betamaxes because in Venezuela you couldn't get mm. VHS and you would buy copies kind of how like on Canal Street New York and they would be copies mm -hmm. of a copy of a copy so they'd be like and then you'd have the, the screen <laughs> freaking out and then when we came to the States we got a VHS and people don't remember this but you'd pause it and the screen would just go insane with lines across it you know and, and so that in and out of tune reverb recording of strings and, and tv shows and stuff like that because that was the best equipment they have 
really does something to me viscerally. And so when I heard what was going on there or when Anthony from M83, which I played in his band for like a year, you know, like at least touring, it was again, it was just like, oh, you can do this. You're allowed to, John. You know, my trip on this planet since out of the, you know, if you look at baby pictures of me, I'm fucking sulking, you know, like, I don't know, a past life, I was not allowed to do a lot of things. And it carried over to this one. And it's just learning that, like, you're allowed to have fun, John. I mean, still, I'm 43. And and every day, I still have to, you're allowed to not suffer at this moment, you know. But I, again, I, I think that this is a very universal thing. It's not just me. That's fascinating because watching, you know, some of your videos, when I saw you live for the first time and and you're this, you know, kind of skitty dude in a plain white shirt and some Ray-Bans, you're totally getting down. You wouldn't think of you as more of a timid lacking in confidence type of person no it's changed now but at that time going on stage was the same feeling of like jumping off a bridge into a river below wow you combine that with a childhood that had a lot of they're all gonna laugh at you moments right mm -hmm. it's funny that i chose to be judged by people for a living <laughs> do you know what i mean i do know like what the, you my mean. biggest but... fear was like being made fun of you know because i know what it feels like and it hurt me so bad so going out every night you know it was just like almost like i was fucking sacrificing myself to something and i would always have to say to myself before going on look you're gonna die so this doesn't matter. Wow. Right. You don't have, to, it doesn't have to be that bad. So uh, then as somebody that has made music myself and I get the vulnerability, I think a lot of musicians feel that way. Does it mean as much to you when, when people talk about how wonderful your music is? It, do, it is now. It is now because before I couldn't shake that someone was taking a piss. Wow. Or that the universe gave me this little thing, but later in the day, it's going to be bad. So for every hundred positive you hear, you'd hear one negative and that would be the only thing. No, that's... not even that. I'd hear one positive thing and I would brace for Armageddon. Wow. So there would be this look on my face when someone would say something nice and it wasn't that like I was rejecting the feeling or, or, or anything like that. It was like, oh wait, I'm not supposed to feel this. And if I do, it's something's going to come and, and slap me. And now that I, I feel like I've learned that it's not like that, when you say these things to me and I'm sober right now, I'm just drinking green tea, I'm thinking, holy shit, how lucky am I to be alive and have this kindness out of nowhere in high fidelity being piped into my headphones, like physically across thousands of miles, someone's saying, hey, I like you, thank you for doing this. I mean, even you're spending your time with me today. I mean, it's just fucking awesome. And it's so awesome to be able to enjoy it, finally. It's funny because it can feel the same way on the other end. It's why would this guy that's written these brilliant albums take an hour to fucking talk to me on a mm. it's kind of a two-way street there see that's what i'm saying is that you have the same algorithm as i do as i feel like 90 percent of us do which is it's so trained yeah that the step one is that this sounds fun and then step two is like but you can't for x y and z were you raised pretty traditionally no i think that comes from my family is pretty parts of my family is pretty old school you're the man you yes. don't have emotions oh yeah and that's like even if your family didn't do that to you the society will do yeah it. my dad didn't do that to me so much but in miami during the 80s oh. and 90s it was like bro you had to be sun's out guns out yeah you are the hunter or you're yeah. prey you know and it's i'm really bad at that that's brutal actually there's a new song that on this new upcoming record which is called i'm sorry alex which is the only guy i really beat up in seventh grade and he didn't deserve it and i think about him and this guy brian and sebastian 
those are the three boys I was mean to after I'd been bullied until mm-hmm. middle school, right? And then I took up kickboxing and I got good at that shit. Then comes middle school and I became my worst nightmare. Oh, okay. And I think about them every day. I wish I could be like, I am so sorry for the person I was. The best thing I can do right now, because I'm too much of a coward to hit them up directly, is write a song about it where I literally, the first word is, I'm sorry, Alex. And that's the thing. That's this fucking third dimension. That's what I was talking about at the beginning of this. Either service to self or service to others. If you're a bully, you're a service to self. You do everything in your power to keep pain from happening. So you cause pain on others. Yeah. So that nobody's paying attention. But then again, if you receive pain, you learn a lot real quick. Very true. Where did you grow up? You said Miami, but you said you moved here in 86. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela in 79. And it's a tough place, man. I saw a lot of violence as a kid and things that children shouldn't see. And I think that also has played into my neuroses and the things that I had to fight, you know? Okay. And then we came to the States in 86. I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey within music as an independent artist. One of the things that I really want to talk to you about is you're in a very unique position where you have a following, but you're still very much an independent musician who has to constantly be thinking about what the next step is and how to get there. As a fan of independent artists, what I am constantly thinking of, and hopefully a lot of the people that listen to this are thinking of, is how best can we support you as an independent artist? Because there's always a little bit of grossness with listening to Spotify or that sort of thing, but it's the easiest way to listen. Right. There's things like Bandcamp. There's, you know, I know yeah, Bandcamp buying is merch. Buying merch. I mean, coming to the shows. <laughs> Because I'm a consumer of music too. Mm -hmm. And I'm the same consumer as everybody else is, right? Very rarely spend actual money on merchandise for things. And so I hate answering this way because it's not of service really, but it's truth. So I have to tell you is that I gave up on that. When people email me and they're like, I feel so bad for listening to you on Spotify. I'm like, I love you. Don't even. Mm -hmm. I'm just so grateful that you're listening. It's not you. It's the system we're all living in. And so like, that's what I remind people when they're like, I feel bad. Or what do I do to help you out? And I'm just like, you asking me and having this conversation is all I need. You're a conscious human being and I'm not alone. Fine. Listen to whatever the fuck you want. I mean, you know, get it illegally. I don't give a shit. (laughs) I want to help you feel better about this place. Being a musician right now and trying to be an independent artist The biggest thing I can tell you is have a day job and don't put the pressure on your art to make money. If it does and it carries you somewhere, cool. But start from a place of joy. And the only way you can do that is if you're not putting pressure on this thing that I'm doing right at this moment has to pay my bills. Mm, Yeah. Get a fucking day job if you can. (laughs) I mean, everything's fucked right now, but it's hard to feel like this right now and it's hard to see it but the real truth 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 is that the joy that you feel when you're making your shit makes the world a better place you can't see the reverberations that are happening but that's only because you can only see 0.001% of the fucking electromagnetic spectrum if you had better organs you could probably see joy in people and what it does to the the room if you can work to make a little bubble for yourself people with children this is going to be harder but like you know that's more your purpose right now is to raise the child have fun first and if things go like i said with a with a big black delta thing people reacted and then i continued i mean the only thing i did was make a twitter account and that was new at the time and i just remember like resenting it being like another social thing you know (laughs) like all independent artists everywhere your art is the gift didn't matter and you were being fed FOMO wish you were here look how hot I am and you know little red notifications that hijack the reptilian parts of your brain would you give a shit yeah would you really give a shit how many streams you have on Spotify it's that's something that the ego likes or the guys that have to sell something you don't have to sell your publishing and your merch rights to a label so that they can fucking support you and pay for PR. Yeah. That's a fucking myth. It doesn't matter who you have as a publicist. If it's your time, it'll take off. And if it's not, it won't, man. 
just remember that you're on this planet to feel and you have a choice. And I'm telling you, feeling good and having a good time is way fucking cooler <laughs> than being stressed out. Is my music X, Y, or Z? I did that for a fucking a long time. And I can tell you at the end of the road, it doesn't, oh God, I hate that term. But I can tell you through that experience that there's nothing at the end of it except you. But you know, that little loop you came with, mm -hmm. or if you had a little bit of whiskey that tonight and you're just playing this fucking thing on the guitar and it just sounds so good. There's a part of you that wants to hijack and be like, we got to capture this right now or else it'll go away. No, just get a voice memo <laughs> and chill, homie. Enjoy the fact that the fucking sun is down and you're alive and you're making this thing. You're making something with the universe. I, I sound, I know how I sound. <laughs> I know how I sound. No, I, I like apologize, it. but that would be the only thing I could offer. That and don't make videos. Because for four, I spent, I won't even tell you how much money I spent, but enough to get a mid-sized suburban car making those videos that like are the best things ever. I mean, Warren Commerce, who does a lot of those videos, it's just, I'm just so glad they exist. You they're know? spectacular. Nobody watches. Nobody gives a fuck. The Adam Osgood ones too. They're amazing. I mean, case in point. And you know, he just, he's an amazing artist that hopefully his, you know, his star is rising, but nobody gives a shit. So like that, the technical thing, Make lyric videos. And if you don't have lyric videos, then you just need to have a, a stationary piece of artwork. No one's watching them. They're listening to them. Everybody's on their phone. It used to be a, a hurdle. It's like, well, what's the video? And, and then you'd have to go make a video. And it's just like, that's why they all look the same. And there's a wink at the end of it, like, gotcha. You know, like, it's just <laughs> this, you don't need that. Is it good for independent artists that the vinyl industry is seems to be constantly skyrocketing and not going away? Do you think that'll help independent artists? Or do you think that the big yes, labels? Because, because it's a commodity that's physical. You give me... X amount of money, and I ship you this. Exactly. And we're done. Me and my manager make the joke of the record that we're going to put out later, we're going to do the original NFT, which is a fucking vinyl record. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, that's great. With all the how everything is right now, what do we do with this? What do we do with that? And I'm just, even if I tried, it wouldn't work. Because, dude, honestly, if, if a bro comes to me and goes, like, hey, I have $100,000, I want an NFT, I'll be like, I'll write you a song for, uh, for 100 grand. Sure. It'll be yours. <laughs> I'll do that because I like making music. And if you're going to pay me for it, great. We're at the late stage capitalist point that cynicism is the main key for everything. Everything is a cynical thing. Like, you know, Capital One being like LGBTQ and all this other shit. You're like, yeah. you guys don't give no, a it's, fuck. It's wonderful being able to sell all that Pride Month merchandise. Yeah, Right. When Dove Lotion is all like Black Lives Matter, it's just yeah. like, where have you been the last hundred years? <laughs> Yeah. Why now? There's a cynical thing that everybody just expects now. And I think that's bullshit. That's why I think mom and pop crafters, at least in the guitar world, there's a lot of dudes that are making a living, good living now, just making guitars in their garage. I mean, that's fucking heaven. Can you imagine living on a ranch with a bunch of dogs, woodworking all fucking day? And that's, you pay rent through that? Like Sounds good to me. And that's not cynical, you know? So you're not going to change people's opinions. We just learned that in the last six years. So just be that 60% or be that 40%, whichever one you serve a purpose, dude. I like that. That's what I also tell myself to bring myself peace. No one gives a shit about you, bro. And it's true. And it's so relieving. People have the most fun when they don't think that they're being watched. I'm not going to keep you that much longer. This has been spectacular. I feel like your music makes even more sense to me now. Actually, you know what? We were talking about vinyl. Do you think that your debut album will reissue? Yeah. We're just going to wait till next year because Adele yeah. took up all the vinyl For printing. a couple of years, I think. <laughs> Correct. And so every everything is now, it used to be six to eight weeks. Now it's 16 to 18 weeks. And yeah, I get hit up about that every day. And so I'm just like, I bet. for sure, we'll just do it next year. I have a lot of stuff coming out soon. I look forward to it all. And the sooner I can get it on vinyl, the better. Because I feel that way too. I feel like at least that's one small thing as a, consumer of an artist that's something i can do at least if i buy it on vinyl i know that i'm exchanging a physical thing for money and yeah anything that's directly with the artist is going to make them more money you know that's just how it works the more fancy the operation the more percentage gets taken and that's what i was saying is that like kids now i say kids but human beings now that signed to record deals and stuff they take your publishing and your merch yeah. and all these things that you're and your likeness your brand so to speak so if like john wanted to go do something else 
they'd be like, Hey, what's up? Sorry to bother you, but we still get 15% of that. You know what I mean? That's like, that's just cynical fucking commoditization of shit that doesn't exist. How often do you play live? You have the psycho festival coming up in Vegas in August. That's the 19th through the 21st. You're playing on, I think you're playing on Friday uh, specifically, right? Yeah. That's an awesome lineup for a festival too um that's the first show i've played in a year was the covid one the the quote-unquote show i you did, did one in september here in la okay i go where i'm asked <laughs> so if like someone's like hey can you come play it's just because i you know through melodrone and through big black delta i'm just not gonna go hit the fucking clubs with no promotion because mm-hmm. i've trust me dude i've played to every empty room and shithole in this fucking continental United States. My live thing is, it's like, if you want me, we'll come. Seeing you live, you have a decent following. It's just, it's surprising for me that you don't get contacted more about playing it, particularly like festivals and things. I feel like your music would attribute itself perfectly to. Well, hopefully that'll change. Uh, We live in a post-COVID world, but you can't underestimate what a reset COVID was for the live touring industry. Last year, we discussed with a gentleman that actually created his own musical project, but his job job is he tours. He does lighting and things for major concerts. Um, See, that maybe sounds like heaven, like (laughs) playing shows, but not have, you know, I'm just lights. Fucking awesome. And I don't mean just, (laughs) I don't mean to be like, you know, to your friend, just be like, at the same time, I got to sing, play, perform shake babies afterwards you know like (laughs) so if somebody was like you get to be creative but you don't have to deal with all those other things i'd be like fucking stoked like the you know mashuga's lighting director the guy that plays with his fingers you know i look at him and i'm like that guy figured it out (laughs) so august 19th in vegas you can see big black delta and hopefully more dates coming up for next year because it's going to be a sick one for me. And then you've got the quote unquote greatest hits coming out, which I actually got to listen to it. It's completely different. It's awesome. Do you play all the yeah, parts? Everything. Wow. I don't even know. There's no comp to it. Maybe a teeny bit of like sea change by Beck or I, I, don't I mean, that's, know. I was going for like, you know, Scott Walker versions of my songs, you know, Scott Walker. It's completely different. I highly recommend it. And I can't wait to hear your new stuff, John. Uh, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. That's all I got for you. I've taken enough of your time. I feel like I understand your music a little better. And I think you're an amazing man with incredible music. So thank you so much for joining me. What a gift, man. Thank you. Jonathan Bates just got done. I edited and then I listened again just to double check. What an interview. What a conversation. What a guy. So immediately open and honest like that. It's not something I'm used to in a very good way. You can tell he's changed a lot since the album that I've frequently talked about on this podcast. It's not a big shocker that he was in such a dark place when he wrote that first album. That's just something I've been, I've always been drawn to since I was a little kid. I'll just always be drawn to the Lane Staley's and the Ian Curtis's. And it's funny though, because I really, I wouldn't have pictured that. That album doesn't have those same themes. Although if you listen to it, there is a lot of surreal heartbreak and that sort of thing in it, but it still has these overlying notes of, I don't know, it seems like somebody who's okay, which he apparently was not when he wrote his first couple albums. Um, But it's just such a surreal thing to talk to someone that you think has written a a masterpiece, basically, that has seemed to have almost kind of written it off. I think if you're an artist, you have to be like that in a way. You can't live in your past art. You have to always be searching for the new thing and keeping yourself and others excited for the new thing. But it seemed like he was very quick to want to, here's the new, and that was the old, almost forgetting that he had done the songs with Kimber and Debbie Gibson, which I think he said in the interview, man, I forgot about that. I, <laughs> that's crazy to me. But here are the big things. This interview had an impact on me. There are two ways that it has, and one of them is big. 
one of the ways this has impacted me is my I've kind of lost the fear now of who to ask to come on the podcast. It kind of made me realize he had this interesting take on, which is true. And it's just a confidence thing for me, I'm sure. But when we talked about how he, in his version of the world or his universe or whatever, he's got this person that wants to give all this positivity to him. And why would he ever, I mean, that's such an amazing thing to be grateful for. And I've just never looked at it like that. I've always looked at it like a, why would this person that has probably talked about this a hundred times has probably been told through Instagram or whatever every day, oh my God, your music means so much to me. Why would they want to do something like this? Why would they want to do a podcast? And now I think I kind of look at it as a, why the fuck wouldn't they want to do the podcast? And and then the big one, the one that really truly matters. The other thing that I've taken from this interview, this season... I have become very, very interested and driven by numbers and how to get us bigger and how to get us more drawn in on social media and how to break things open and this and that. And it reminds me of, you know, when I first started this fucking thing, episode two or three or whatever, and I think I was chatting with Evil. He wasn't part of the pod yet. He was going to come on as a guest, but he wasn't an official part of the pod. I was excited because we had 200 people listen or something like that. We had like 100 listeners. And I remember thinking, man, if we could just get this to 1,000 listeners an episode, how? why would you ever want anything else? How perfect is that to know that you've got 1,000 people out there that you're sharing your musical opinions with that are, that are going to reach out to you at some point and share to be able to do that with that many people is just perfect. And it's some somewhere along the way, I completely lost that. And I became obsessed with needing more and more and more. And I get, you know, part of that is because I want this to be able to be promoted and I want it to be able to get sponsors because then I can pay Evil Rachel and Sven for the pod, which, I, you know, that's just capitalism. That's how it works. I care about them. I love having them on the podcast. So why not try to make it to where I'm earning them money? And shit, if somehow it breaks through and this is actually our primary income job, then I feel like I can dedicate myself completely to it and the content would be better. That said, that's not why I started this and that's not why I'm doing this. I just love talking about music and I lost that. I think this year. And then all of a sudden, this guy in John that had written one of the best albums I've ever heard is talking to me about, you know, I'm not, I'm not the spiritual soul that he is. I don't have that in me. I have a very boring thought process about life. I think you live, do the things you do, you die, you're worm food, and then eventually the planet dies out because we kill it. I don't have all these great, wonderful thoughts that he does, but I have this guy in John talking to me who I think's written one of the best albums I've ever heard. And once again, I keep talking about his one album. His other two albums are amazing too. It's just that his first album is the one that had the, the big effect on me. I apologize to John that I keep, I keep making it sound like his first album is the album. And that's not the case. I actually, his second album I listen to more nowadays the song Bitten by the Apple on his second album is probably going to be on my Spotify listen to most. And then subsequent to that, when I'm listening to him on vinyl, I usually listen to four, his newest album. I think I talk most about his self-titled album because that's the one that hit me. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him about this and he's absolutely right when he said the stuff about remember who you are on this planet. And for me, it's the truth of you are this speck of molecules hurtling through space within infinity other specks of molecules. In the grand scheme of things, we are all completely insignificant. Why the fuck am I caring so much about likes and downloads and followers? The bottom line is, like today, for example, I'm recording this later, which would explain my shitty shit voice. I apologize for that. I am very sick. But today, for example, we're recording a double episode. We've got to pump a lot of these out. In the summer, it's harder because people go on vacation. I'm going on vacation in a few weeks for nine days. My God, I can't wait. But today, 
I'm going to talk about an album I have always loved with Evil. And then after that, Evil Rachel and I are going to talk about a bunch of new albums. And you know what? I love doing it. I love doing it. I'm almost like a kid on Christmas with particularly with like the quick fire review episodes and stuff. I legitimately get excited for doing those. And that's what it's all about. The shared moments and being happy with what you're doing at that time. I do firmly believe that this interview really helped me re-see that. So Jonathan Bates, thank you. It's weird even for me to say in a lot of ways, he's had a very big impact on my life. He really has. You know, his music has impacted my life. I'm really excited for his album that's going to come out. I think I'm going to probably have Evil listen to it with me and then we'll do a pod on it because he said it's guitar heavy, which is much more up Evil's alley. And it's exciting because all of a sudden Jonathan Bates is dropping these these bands in the interview like Meshuggah and stuff that I just didn't, I would not have thought of him liking. It's really awesome. So I am so, so grateful that I get to do this and that I got to interview him. I'm taking a lot from that interview. John, cannot wait for your new stuff. I hope you keep plugging away. I wish you the absolute best. You seem like you're very, very happy, and in the end, that's all that matters. Versecourseverse.com at versecourseversepod. Hope you're all well. Good night, good luck. Now we shine together.